So as I said, I'm excited to bring a really prophetic word this morning. I believe it's something that God is saying to the churches, but specifically our church. So I wanna, I wanna share a little bit on unity today. Um, our, our church is in revival. We're seeing incredible number of people saved and delivered and healed and discipled. How many of you were at Presence Conference? Great. A lot of you, and it was just sensational. And, and I believe God is doing such a magnificent work across the, the whole earth. And, and I would think if, if I were the devil, and I'm not, but if I were, I would think in one of these great times of momentum and revival in the church that I would do everything I can to sabotage it. And one of the devil's favorite tricks is bringing disunity. In fact, that's what got him kicked out of heaven. He's the divider in chief. And so I wanna give us kind of like a word that's a little bit of a, a warning word, a preemptive word today. So we don't allow the enemy to come in and sabotage the great work that he's wanting to do in our midst and in our city and in your life and in your family. So I'm gonna be speaking a word on unity. I would love it if you'd turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're gonna read Psalm 133 today. It says this. How wonderful, how beautiful, when brothers and sisters get along. And can we just have like a sila moment for a second? Like, oh, yes, I agree, Lord. It's like costly anointing oil. Not, not the cheap stuff you get at Trader Joe's. This is like the stuff that you would import from Italy, okay? Flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. Now, why is that in there? Because it sounds random. Basically, it says it starts with us as the leaders. Starts with Jürgen and I. However we live is gonna be reverberated throughout our entire congregation. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon, flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where, the place of unity, that's where God commands a blessing. He doesn't just suggest one, he commands it. Wow. He looks down, and he's like, wow, my church is getting along. It's getting along. Quick, Gabriel, let's command a blessing. And he gets the Trinity together and they, and they bless the church that makes a decision to dwell together in unity. It is such a powerful thing. James puts it this way in the New Testament. He says in James chapter number three, real wisdom God's wisdom begins with a holy life. Okay, let's, let's think about that for a second. Because you think about, to you, what does a holy life look like? Well, I know the Bible inside out and back to front. I pray for three, no, four hours a day. I can sing worship songs like an angel. I can prophesy the paint off a wall. That is how surely a holy life is characterised. Well, actually, here's what it says. A holy life is characterized by, wait for it, getting along with others. You know, I just love this because this so speaks to me because unlike deep theologians and we need them, God bless them, God has blessed me with the ability to see things really simply. And, and I love the way that James says this in such simple terms. He doesn't, he doesn't hide anything. He just says, you know what a holy life looks like, my friends? The ability to get along with others. It's gentle. 
And I love that word gentle because I think that God is wanting to bring a revival of gentleness into the church where we're not harsh and hard and abusive. And can I say to you today, particularly in the case of women, something is transgressed in our biological spiritual makeup when we become harsh and we aren't gentle. There's nothing more unattractive than a brash, bossy, harsh woman. Doesn't look good on a man, looks terrible on a woman. It's gentle and it's reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings. Not hot one day and cold the next and not two-faced. I love this. So simple. When we think about some of the criticism that many in the world have of the church, is it not that? That Christians are hypocritical and two-faced. Well, it's not gonna be like that here. You can, somebody say you can. You can, it's possible, develop a healthy, robust community. Is it possible to find a healthy expression of church in the world today? Yes, it is. How do we do it, James? He says, all right, if you want to enjoy these results, then you have to do the hard work of getting along with each other. Treating each other with dignity and honour. And when we look at the problems in the world today, is it not that every human in in their heart of hearts just wants to be treated with dignity and honour? So we look at the war of the sexes, men against women, women against men. We look at the war of the races, the racial tension. Is it not that every human... Their hearts cry is just to be treated with dignity and honour. That's why the church is the answer to the world's most complicated problems. I love this. Then he goes on to say, he's, he, he actually finishes right there. Sorry, he says nothing more after that. Treat each other with dignity and honour. But here's how I wanted to, to, to finish it. Wherever you see unity, it's not organic. So we may covet, we may covet someone else's family. Oh, look how unified they are. We may covet somebody else's place of employment or we may covet this or covet that. But wherever you see unity, it's not organic. It's intentional. It's a group of people who have actually made a decision. We're gonna get along with each other. We are gonna be committed to the hard work of getting along. So today, what I'd like to do is give you five points on living as a church together in unity. And I feel like it's the word of the Lord to us right now so we can ride that wave of revival that that the Lord has sent to our city. So I wanna start by saying this. I wanna start by saying, if you live with unity, if you wanna live with unity, you have to learn to go first. Matthew chapter number five, verse 23 in the Amplified says this. Are we ready? So if when you are offering your gift at the altar, you there remember that your brother has any grievance against you, leave your gift. What? Leave your gift at the church? I thought they were all about gifting. Leave your gift at the altar and go first. Ooh, go first. Make peace with your brother and then come back and present your Gift. Somebody say, go first. When we look at the problems in the world today, do you know what we could kind of like distill it down to? 
Just not enough people willing to do the hard work of getting along by going first. What does that mean? Well, I'll give you a couple of statements that you may have heard or have said. I'm not apologising till he does. I'm not forgiving till they say they are sorry. When they give me a reason to be nice, then I'll be nice. Men have treated me like trash, so I'm gonna treat them like trash. Hashtag modern feminism. Nobody helped me in life, so I'm not gonna help anyone else. I had to drag myself up and learn the hard way, so you're gonna have to too. Okay, you miserable little person, you need to stop it. Because the whole premise of the gospel is that we can love because He first loved us. The whole premise of the Christian life is that we go first. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. Here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behaviour. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up everything, God's laws and what the prophet said, and this is what you get. So here's here's the short version of that story. As Christians, we don't wait for somebody else to behave right, we behave right. For Christians, we don't wait for somebody else to extend the olive branch, we extend the olive branch. For Christians, we don't, as Christians, we don't wait for somebody else to forgive us, we forgive them. As Christians, we don't wait to give the apology, we bring the apology. We're of a different spirit. You know, and and I wanna tell you that this is probably one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do in life. Because don't we all just wanna stand our ground? Oh, I'm staying here until you bridge the divide. And then maybe then I'll show my benevolence and show my grace. But it's so contrary to what the Lord asks us to do. I remember a situation just recently where I was about to go to a Christian conference and I knew that a woman that I'd had an unpleasant interaction with many, many years earlier was gonna be attending. And so I was like, oh my gosh. And I'm being real and honest with you today. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I'm gonna have to see that woman. And I came up with a plan in my head because I wanted to avoid her. I found her aloof and unpleasant. And I came up with a plan. Well, when I go to the conference, I'm just gonna avoid her. I'm gonna give her a wide berth. I won't be unkind, uh, but I'm, I'm just gonna avoid her. And I had this plan in my head. And sure enough, I turn up at the conference and, and there she is on the other side of the room. And I'm like, okay, Leanne, okay, Leanne, just stick to the plan, stick to the plan, just, just avoid. Talk to all these pleasant people over here who are, who are kind and engaging and just avoid the unpleasant woman. But I'm telling you, the anointing of the Lord, actually the conviction of the Lord hit me and he was like, Leanne, you're a Christian. How about you actually do those things that you've been telling the cherished women to do and go first? And so I'm like, all right. So I walk over and as I'm walking over, I see her, I see her face and you know, again, I'm like getting more nervous and more nervous because the last time I approached her, all I felt was rejection. And as humans, we will do everything we can to avoid rejection. And we'd instead rather stay on the other side and just let there be a bridge, a divide between us instead of doing the hard work of getting along. And I walk over, I put my arm around her and I said, hey, how you doing? Good to see you again. And it's amazing. Within minutes, it was like nothing had ever happened. Like the the peace had completely 
come into the situation. And we had a conversation. And by the end of the conversation, she's wanting to get a photo with me. And then she's posting it and putting hashtag love this girl. It is amazing. <laughs> when we do the hard work of getting along, <laughs> how things can actually shift. And you know what I've realized? Quite often it can be more misunderstanding and less offense. And God spoke to me and He said, Leanne, you know, when you don't do the hard work of getting along and going first, you can actually become the perpetrator of the crime that you have ascribed to the other person. I mean, who was being aloof? Who at this point was being unpleasant? Who now was rejecting who? And it wasn't until the Lord convicted my heart that I went and made a decision, I'm gonna bridge this divide. And I reckon there are people here today and the word of the Lord to you today is to go first. Things don't shift until the big people in the room, the adults, the Christians, make the decision to do what's difficult but will bring repair. The world would be in revival if God's church learnt to go first. I love this scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verses 47 to 48. If all you do is love the lovable, and that's pretty easy, let's face it. Nobody hates a puppy. (laughs) If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? I think some of us do. Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, and now this is Jesus' words, not mine, grow up. (laughs) Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. You know who you are? You're not snooty, you're not aloof, you don't repay evil for evil. You don't add fire to the fire, you put out the fire with peace and love and kindness. You extend the olive branch, you go first. Live generously and graciously toward others, the way that God has lived toward you. My gosh, if we wanna be a church that operates in unity, and I'm telling you, we do, because that's the place where people get saved, they get born again, their lives get put together when they see a church that's flourishing. They don't want more of what's happening out in the world. They wanna see something different in God's house. To live with unity, we have to go first. Amen. Amen, Amen, Leanne. The second thing I wanna say is to live with unity, you have to let the righteous strike you. Okay, I'm gonna explain this because it sounds very violent and it kinda is, but it's the good kind of violence. I want somebody to say, hurt so good. Okay, here's what King David said in Psalm 141. Let the righteous strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me that is oil on my head. You know what I've realised? We rarely self-prune. Oh, we like to think we do. Oh, we like to think that we have a real critical eye when it comes to ourselves and our flaws and all the things that we're, we're carrying that we shouldn't be carrying, but, but we need other people. God was so smart in putting us in a community called the church to mean that when we are doing something stupid, the collective wisdom around us of the people that are close enough can actually come in and help us from, and stop us from train wrecking our lives. So I thank God for the church. I think the poorest person on the planet is the person who does not have anyone close enough to tell them 
what they cannot figure out on their own. And many of us rail against it. And in our nation, in the nation of America, the, the prevailing spirit that has been elevated is the, the spirit of independence. Nobody can tell me what to do. Nobody can, nobody can speak to me. I hear from God directly. I know exactly what's up. And if I need a rebuke, the Lord Himself will come and speak to me clearly. You know what I found? That the Lord dresses up His wisdom and His counsel in man flesh. Quite often, it's your spouse. If you've got a healthy husband or wife, I'm telling you, they will be the greatest truth teller in your world. And you would be foolish to shut them down. There have been many times in my marriage where I'm like, oh Lord, I wanna hear it from anyone but him. (laughs) But you know what? I know he loves me more than anybody else loves me. Think about it. And when we rail against the truth coming to us because we've bowed our knee to the spirit of independence as opposed to the spirit of humility, which is the greatest spirit in the kingdom, we miss out on valuable lessons and correction that the Lord wants to bring us in order to enhance our lives. We make excuses and we deflect and we get offended. Proverbs chapter five, verses 12 to 14 says this. How I hated discipline. This is a lament of a person who didn't listen when God brought counsel and correction his way. How I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin and now I must face public disgrace. Listen to the lament in this person's voice. Such regret over the choices they made. And the truth is it didn't have to be this way. And here's what I've found. God is so good. He's so beautiful. When there's an area in your life that needs correcting, He comes usually to you with someone who really loves you in a discreet, completely anonymous way. Like it's not, it's not at all humiliating. But the more we resist that counsel, and harden our hearts like Pharaoh hardened his heart. The more we harden our hearts to the people who love us telling us the things that we need to hear, I'm telling you, the more public it eventually gets. And how many examples do we have in the church of people who have not listened to the warnings that have come their way and inevitably we see their sins now plastered on the front page of the newspaper or on the internet for the whole world to see. Doesn't need that to be that way. The Bible says when you let the righteous strike you, it will be a kindness. Somebody say, hurts so good. Man, I thank God for the times that my pastor, Pastor Phil Pringle has pulled in, Pastor Jürgen and I, and and we've had some conversations that weren't pleasant, that were a little bit awkward, that were hard to hear, but I'm telling you, they were the word of the Lord to us. And I would say to you today, that I would ascribe the success we've had in life because of those difficult conversations we've allowed those teachers and mentors and pastors in our lives to have with us. Man, I shouldn't be where I am in the sense of I have a 10th grade education. I don't have the worldly qualifications to be doing what I'm doing, but because I've let the righteous strike me, man, I've been able to grab a hold of the collective wisdom of people that are way smarter than me. Isn't that excellent? 
I didn't even need to go to college. Just by hanging around you and letting you tell me what I don't know, I can be as smart as you without the school fees. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's the blessing of being part of God's church. And you might say, well, well, they, they didn't get everything right. And when they corrected me, they, they had a little bit of misinformation. And the way they said it or where they said it, they weren't sensitive. They never will be. There is no corrective, corrective meeting or, or confrontation that is ever 100% awesome. There's always like at least 10 to 15% where you're like, no, it didn't happen that way. And that person gave you misinformation. And many of us will use that 10% where it's a little bit off as an escape hatch to, to throw the whole thing out. Then we leave church. Then we go to another church and somebody has a conversation with us. And then we leave that one. Before we know it, we've exhausted every church in San Diego County. And now we have to watch church online. And then the online pastor offends you and it's like, oh dear. What do you do at that point? Let the righteous strike you. It will be a kindness. I'm rich because I've got people in my world that will tell me what I can't see in myself. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If I've got black stuff in my teeth, I want to know. If I walk out of the restroom with toilet paper on my shoe, I want somebody to tell me. And many of us are walking around spiritually with spiritual toilet paper on our shoe as it relates to our character and we're getting embarrassed and we don't know and then we, we fight the messenger. Ugh. You didn't say it in the way that the Bible says you should do it. 5% and instead of meeting at Starbucks, you should have cooked me a seven course meal at your home and told me there. Oh, stop it. Come on. Eat the fish and spit out the bones. Sometimes our problems aren't what we think they are. It's not everybody else. God wants to get something to you that is going to benefit your life. We've got to let the righteous strike me. Well, they don't understand me. They don't understand my heart. Well, all they have to go off is your actions. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.11, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? You're judging everybody because they don't know your hearts and thoughts. Well, well, how could they? they don't, they're not inside your thoughts, inside your mind. You've got to give people a little bit of grace for those moments and don't toss out the correction of the Lord just because it wasn't done exactly how you thought it should be done. Point number three, to live with unity, we have to grow up. We have to grow up. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, it's described as the love chapter. And many of us are used to hearing it at weddings in the context of a marriage. But the truth is, this is a letter written to the Corinthian church by Paul regarding how the church should behave toward one another. He said, this is what the, the church looks like, that a healthy church looks like when it's loving and operating in the way that God intended. Love is patient, love is kind, love, love does not envy, it does not boast, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And then Paul goes on to say this famous, famous part of this scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a grown-up, somebody say, when I became a grown-up, yeah, when I became a grown-up, I put the ways of childhood behind me. 
One of the biggest reasons that we have a disunified church is that we have a whole bunch of adults that have not left the playground antics, even though they're in their adult years. You, you know what I'm, I'm talking about. And I'm, I made a decision early on. If I was gonna have to grow old physically, I wasn't also going to have to live the rest of my life with a teenage brain. If I was gonna have a 44-year-old woman's metabolism, a 44-year-old woman's backside, a 44-year-old women's, woman's body and, and skin tone, then gosh darn it, I'm not gonna have a 16-year-old brain. That, that would be complete robbery, in my opinion. To look like an adult, but to behave like a teenager. Mm. I'm not talking to Sally because Sally hurt my feelings. Well, therein lies the problem. A lot of us are letting our feelings do the guide instead of our thinking. We've got a generation that is so in touch with their feelings, but they've lost touch with their brain. And we've felt our way into relational discord. And Paul says here, when you grew up, you put aside childish things and so many things are happening in our church world today around the world that, that have no place in God's house. Things should be different in God's house. We repair broken relationships. We don't recycle offence. We deal with offence correctly. We do what the Bible says. We forgive people, that's a big one. We talk about it a lot in church, but very few of us do it. And again, God's church can be so fractured because the people that need to be forgiving aren't doing it. The people that should be extending the olive branch aren't doing it. The people that should be repairing broken relationships are instead dividing them. The people that should be holding their peace are instead causing and stirring up strife and chaos. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I reasoned as a child. But when I became a grown up, I put off some childish things. You know what I've realized? Offense, even in the church, is gonna be hurled at us daily. So we have to be really good at dodging the devil's ball of offense. I uh, preached a message to our cherished ladies a couple of years ago. As I was seeing some certain behaviors kind of bubble up, worldly behaviors, I'm like, oh, no ma'am. No ma'am. I don't want the outside world to come in and go, wow, they're exactly the same as us. Wouldn't that be terrible? It's raining and stormy out there and then I come into the church and it's raining and stormy in here. It's clicky and, in, and exclusive out there and it's clicky and exclusive out here. It's gossipy and scandalous out there and it's gossipy and scandalous here. No. No, sir. No, ma'am. We're gonna do things differently here at C3 Church. We're ambassadors of the kingdom. So I preached a message called Spiritual Dodgeball. I said, you know, one of the, the devil's favorite tricks is he gets a ball and written on it is a fence. And he'll get ready. And you know who he's looking for? He's looking for the person with their arms ready to catch it. Wow. And, and I'm certain, even in this congregation right here, there are some people who have positioned themselves to catch the devil's ball of offense. Wow. And their arms are ready, okay? And, and, they hurl, and he hurls it at them and they grab it and they look at it and they obsess over it. Oh, they name it Wilson. 
And it's their reason for being ticked off and mad at the world. And they look at it and they take it to bed with them. And when they wake up in the middle of the night, it's the first thing they see and the first thing they think about. And it's the reason they can't see anything else or hear anything else. They've got this ball of offence. And then they get the ball and they show their husband or their wife, look at this. And before long, that ball, it's a magical ball. Not only does this person hate this person, not only do they hate the pastor and hate the church, and in fact, Christianity altogether, now the husband or the wife hate the pastor, hate the church, hate the person. Then they take it to their kids and they all worship the ball of offence. They all worship it and then they wonder why their family is disenfranchised from God. We, we do it to ourselves, but there is a solution. It's called repentance. I came to bring good news today. Maybe this is where you've been, but it's not where you need to stay or where you have to stay. Through our God, we can have the victory. When we say, Lord, I'm surrender. I'm not gonna catch. I am gonna have straight arms, straight arms. I told the girls, if you can dodge a ball, you can dodge an offence. So when the enemy tosses his ball of offence, you're, not today, devil. Not today, devil. Not today, devil. Some of us need to get really good at spiritual dodgeball. It's time, it's time, it's time. Don't waste your life and disunify the church anymore by grabbing a hold of what you're meant to be dodging. Put your hands down. Proverbs 19.11 says this, a person's insight gives them patience and his virtue is to overlook an offence. Ooh but a little part of us just loves it, doesn't it? Makes us feel so good to have a vendetta against somebody and a reason we can avoid them in the cafe. And they go to make eye contact, we avoid, we look away. We're about to send that invitation out for that party and you put everybody else's name on that evite except theirs. Another translation says this, if you are sensible, you will control your temper. When someone wrongs you, it is a great virtue to ignore it. Some of us are grabbing a hold of these offences and they've been what has kept us out of the place of unity and literally been the reason many of our friends, colleagues and family members have stayed estranged from the church. It's time for us to do what King David said in the Bible, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Man, things can be better than they've been. If we make a decision instead of catching that ball of offence, we're gonna dodge it. We're gonna put aside some childish things. We're gonna, not gonna behave like babies anymore. And you know what I've realised? That most people aren't as offensive as much as they are thoughtless. See, we ascribe a lot to offence. They offended me. They meant to hurt me. You know what? Most people aren't trying to hurt you and offend you. They're just thoughtless. They're just not thinking. We're all just a little bit selfish and we say things we don't mean and we're not thinking and we might make a comment. And I've realised that people are raised in different homes and different cultures and they may be a little bit more brutal than the person next to them and they go around bludgeoning society and they don't know. And I can tell you from personal experience, I can guarantee you if I have offended you, I haven't meant it. It's never an on purpose. 
I told the first service there is only one person that I mean to offend, and that is my husband. And I'm trying to do that less and less. He's the only person in the whole world that could actually say, you meant to offend me. And I'd have to say, well, yes, actually I did. I, I just woke up this morning and felt like being unpleasant. I'm, I'm sorry about that. But for everybody else, that invitation you didn't get, that text that wasn't returned, it's not someone trying to offend you, they're just thoughtless. And yet we've let this thing walk us out of church. And instead of building the house of God, we've torn it down with our disunity. It's time to live in such a way where we don't act like children, swayed to and fro by our feelings, but people that do what's right because it's the right thing to do. Point number four, to live with unity, we have to get alone. And it sounds a little bit like a dichotomy, and it is. So in order to live in a world with other humans, we actually have to spend time with God. In an imperfect world, we can behave perfectly when we spend time with the Lord and let Him wash away all those little offences, all those little hurts and all those little wounds. I had a conversation with a woman in ministry many, many years ago. And as we were sitting over coffee, she started to share with me all the little offences and all the little hurts and all the little wounds. And this person said this to me, and then that person said that to me, and then I was misrepresented here, and then my husband doesn't understand me, and the church doesn't like me. And, and I, my head was just tilting because they were all like really little insignificant things. And first of all, I wanted to say, okay, you need to figure out first what a real problem is. But then I felt to ask her, what's your prayer life like? Because here's the truth, every single one of us, we're in a world full of people that inadvertently will offend us. And, and every human is a little bit offensive. And if you don't think you're offensive, then your lack of self-awareness is your most offensive quality, just as an <laughs> FYI. So, so we, when you pray, here's what happens. So you've got all those little things, but you walk into the secret place, walk into the prayer closet where it's just you and God. Because in order to be unified, you have to be able to get alone. And you get all those things. That person said that to me. My husband doesn't understand me. My kids don't appreciate me. That person excluded me from the group. I text them, they didn't text me back. I sent the pastor a long email about all my hopes and dreams and they haven't responded yet. And you put it all in there and you put it in your prayer sieve and you shake it out and you process it with God. And as you're processing, it's amazing. And you just, just even if you pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread and forgive me my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. <sighs> Give it five minutes, five, maybe 10 minutes as you process those things, those little things with God. And then you walk out of that prayer closet. You're no longer bitter and twisted. You're no longer mad at the world. You don't hate your husband anymore. You're not mad at your kids. You don't hate your pastor. You don't hate your best friend. Instead, you're full of the joy of the Lord again. You're happy and you're bright and you're cheerful. And I gotta be honest with you. I have no bad energy against anyone because I've made a habit of doing that. And it's not that I haven't been wounded. 
It's not that I haven't been offended. I had a woman want to kill me once. I kid you not. I feel like I am the most unkillable person ever. Like if you're gonna kill someone, at least start with Jürgen. I mean, they went straight to me. I'm not that offensive. We had to get a restraining order. Like the accusations. Man, if I didn't have a prayer life, it could have taken me out. And this wasn't the first time this had happened. This was the second time it had happened where I had a, a woman with such a fierce agenda against me that they wanted to take my life. Like what the heck is wrong? Lord, why am I a psycho magnet? <laughs> and even just sometimes the little things, the careless words that people say, and you'll get jabbed in church, you will. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish I could tell you that people will never be offended, uh, offend, offensive again, but I'd, I'd be lying to you. We have to learn to thrive in a world full of offensive people. Ah, I can do this. I can do this. And you'll find that literally, eventually, when you make prayer a habit, become water off a duck's back. Just recently, I had a woman at a conference kind of throw a jab at me like a drive-by shooting. And she walked past and I was one of two speakers at a conference and she walked past and said, the, I loved the other speaker. I know. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm sorry for wasting everybody's time. But I'm telling you, you know, I, I, I didn't freak out. I didn't come after her. I didn't give her all the reasons why I was an awesome minister too. I just put it in my pocket because it was a wound, it hurt. Maybe today some of you have been wounded, even at the point of your ego or something you've done and it's you know been so attached to your identity and ah, it hurts. I put it in my pocket and went about the rest of the night, but I couldn't wait to go home and just get in my prayer closet and say, oh Lord, minister to me. I thank you that I don't do what I do for the approval of men, but for the smile of heaven. Let me keep the main thing, the main thing. Father, if I bear any ill will toward that woman, or if the enemy has got any access to pierce my heart, to wound me, I reject it today and I receive your healing. Oh, we can all do that. You can live right and well in an offensive world if you start to, to find yourself in the prayer closet with God in the secret place. In the book of Luke, Jesus has an encounter with two sisters at a very awkward dinner party, two sisters. And one of them, this is the party, the dinner party of Mary and Martha. Now, Martha, the Bible says, is worried and troubled about many things. And this is many people in church and why there's disunity and why there's division, because people are worried and troubled about many things. But Jesus rebukes Martha and says to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. And the reason is one thing is needed. And Mary is doing the better thing and I'm not gonna take it away from her. And so many of us are worried and troubled and we're mad at the world and we're mad at our sister like Martha was mad at her sister and we're mad at Jesus for not being mad at our sister. And Jesus is saying to us today, all that can disappear if you just do the one thing. Sit at my feet and listen to my words. Find yourself in that prayer closet and just let it all wash away. One of the reasons so many people get disenfranchised and divided from church is simply this. It's not a big complicated issue, it's a simple one. 
We just haven't found ourselves in the prayer closet, letting the Lord minister to us. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Let the presence of the Lord wash over you and heal what only He can heal. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this, Come to me, all you that labour and are burdened, and I will refresh you. If we don't let the Lord refresh us in the secret place, in the prayer room, we won't be able to do the hard work of getting along with others. We have to get alone with God. So important. In order to be unified, we have to get alone. And lastly, to live with unity, we have to be about our Father's business. There's a story that I read a couple of weeks ago about Japanese fishermen in New Zealand, very random. But the story was this, there was a spate of these Japanese fishermen coming to the emergency room in New Zealand with stab wounds. Like so random, they're fishermen, why are they like getting stabbed? And so on further investigation, they found out that when the fish weren't biting, there was no fish to catch, the Japanese fishermen would be alone on the boat and they would start fighting each other. They'd be fighting over this and fighting over that and you ate my sushi or whatever and they're grabbing their, (laughs) stabbing each other. And so they would dock and then all of a sudden, all these bedraggled, you know, the walking wounded, some of them even lost their lives because of the conflict on the boat between these Japanese fishermen. You know, I think true for the Japanese fishermen, true for the church that when we're not about our Father's business of making disciples, because we're fishers of men, catching fish and discipling them, we fight each other. We must be about our Father's business. When you have the vision and the mission of your Father's business in, in foremost in your mind, everything else is superfluous. All those petty things, you can see them for what they are, they're petty. That little argument you're in, that little stalemate you have with that person, recycling the latest gossip about this family who are going through this crisis and and gossiping about them in your prayer time, or maybe talking about the family whose little kid got kicked out of Sunday school for a week because he bit somebody. It's none of your business. But I tell you what, being about your father's business will keep you on the straight and narrow path even when you don't wanna be kept. You keep the main thing, the main thing. In Philippians 4.2, the Apostle Paul speaks to two female church leaders. Why is it always the females? Judea and Syntech. And they're running the church at the time. And he says this, he says, I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntech to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I would say the prophetic word of the Lord to us today is that God is pleading for us to be of the same mind in the Lord. We aren't always gonna agree with each other, but we have to move past it. Is there not a cause? It's time, it's time, it's time. When we aren't about our Father's business, we get obsessed by everybody else's business. When we aren't talking about the good news of the Gospel, we resort to gossiping about the bad news of the latest church scandal. When we aren't living with eternity in mind, we get distracted by the trivial and the temporal. When we aren't fighting the good fight of faith, we end up fighting the bad fights with each other. When we aren't doing the hard work of getting along, we do the easier work that leads to division, broken relationships, fractured families and a church that becomes weak 
and ineffective. When I look at the city and its needs and the amount of people who really need Jesus, it seems so trivial and so wrong to fight with each other. It's time for us to do the hard work, not the easy work, but the hard work of getting along with each other. Paul says in Ephesians, I want you to bear with one another. Why does he ask us to do that? Because it's worth it, it's worth it. One day we're gonna stand before God in heaven. And you know, I'm not saying this to to condemn anyone, but I wanna prepare you for that day. So when you stand before Him, you're not gonna be standing there with regrets over the fact that you divided the church instead of building it. That you tore it down with your words instead of building it up with your words. And it's a beautiful thing today to hear this this Word because it literally is the Word of the Lord because He has a desire to bless our city. Not just bless our city, but bless your family and bless your life. And the Bible is very clear in Psalm 133, where there is unity. How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. Where there is unity, the Lord will command a blessing. How many of us could do with living with a whole new measure of blessing in our lives? Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.